Good morning. Um, this, I'm going to talk about Psalm 73 this morning. This is an extension or an, maybe an add-on to the last time I was up here when I talked about um, keeping in perspective the sufferings that you may encounter on this earth versus uh, the glory that we'll have in eternity. I'm going to reread uh, the signature verse um, from last time. That was Romans 8.18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Um, in, in a process of review, before we get to Psalm 73, I want to relay a, uh, a conversation I had with a co-worker friend of mine. Uh, his name's Shannon. It's not Eric or, it's not Eric or Jim. Um, but common with all of us, we, uh, we're, uh, we're believers who are a single-income family, who, um, where the wife is uh, at home with the kids. Uh, there's financial struggles, and we tend to sometimes, I'll confess, grumble about stuff like that and, and that situation. Uh, especially, I think, of finances. Anyway, Shannon was telling me about this and how one thing that, that helped him was he had been, uh, he'd been grumbling and, and, and talking about how he would, he would uh, like to get things done and family chores and, and this and that so he could get on with the rest of his life. And what he meant by that was, by that phrase, get on with his life, was uh, to do fun things and self-centered things that, 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 that where he'd be unencumbered by all these uh, things that, you know, that three-year-olds and, and one-year-olds and, um, and family stuff and can't, uh, entail. Anyway, God made known to him or impressed upon him that there is no, there is no rest of your life, that, 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 that what he was doing is, is the life that God called him to, and that um, once, he, once, once he accepted that, that was it made it easy for him to, to follow the will of God. In other words, uh, he was looking to eternity for, 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 God's, for God's reward. It was a perspective shift, and that's something that, that's, that was um, the message from last time. Uh, in Psalm 73, this can be looked upon as an example, another example. You know, when you're in college and, and you're in math class, right, and uh, you're, you're sitting there, and the, and the professor's uh, showing you theory and, and derivations, maybe. Um, it, for me, it never became real until we did an example problem. And, and if, if you want to use this analogy, Psalm 73 is the example problem that goes with the message that I gave last time about, about having an eternal perspective. Psalm 73 is about a man who questions God about why the wicked prosper while the righteous are suffering. And I was attracted to this psalm um, because, it's, because it's of the personal and exciting way that it's told. It grabs your attention. And it's one of those things like it described how I felt exactly when I was reading it. And so it, it, it attracted me for that reason. And we're going to go ahead and read it now. And as we read it, I want you to listen for, for two different things. Um, the psalm is told with, with different uh, phases, or I'm going to call it voices. In other words, it's told in both present and past tense, and, and the man who's doing the talking is speaking about different things at different times. He's speaking about, he's either praising God, 
number one. Number two, he might be confessing. He's confessing his struggles to God. And, and maybe you might say his accusations, although that's kind of a strong word. Uh, he, he also props up his arguments with explanations and justifications of his, of his viewpoint. Uh, the fourth thing is God's truth is revealed, and he, he describes that also. So he's praising, he's confessing. He may be justifying his own, his own viewpoint, and then he's, God's truth is revealed. So look for those four things as we read. The, the second thing is to look for the point in the psalm in which the, perspe- the, the change in perspective um, happens. Because there's a distinct verse where he changes from looking at the here and now, the temporal, to the eternal. Um, so let's look for those things. There's going to be a quiz later. You can hand them in. Mine's color-coded, by the way. See, I got, I'm cheating. Okay, You don't have that, but just use your imagination. See if you can, see if you can follow along. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet, my feet came close to stumbling, and my steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge with fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, How does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. And, as always, and, and always at ease, they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. When when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. I'd like to go back and and just review the chunks of the the psalm that I I divided up into and and just uh, review it and comment. Uh, 
the psalm starts with, in the present time, uh, with an affirmation of God's truth. And then he just quickly, he wants, to, he wants to establish up front, at the very beginning, what's true about God. And then he immediately shifts in verses 2 to 3, then he's thinking back. And he's recalling to this time when he was, to, he was tempted to think that God was not being fair, that he was not treating the, peop, the very people who loved him um, fairly compared with the wicked who did not love him. The wicked seemed to be getting away with it all. Uh, where's the justice in that? And then he goes on in verses 4 through 12. He, he, he shifts from kind of confessing his struggle about this to, to and also by justifying it, by giving evidence of the wicked and, and, and how they prosper. One of the things that I thought about when uh, reading verses 4 through 12 in the description of the wicked something as an application for us. I'm going to give full credit to the psalmist about his struggles. You know, I picture uh, maybe David uh, running from Saul, truly oppressed. You know, but for me, um, and probably for you and I, probably for you also, um, there's very little to compare. Uh, I don't, there's very few people who suffer to the degree that, that men like David or some of the prophets or the disciples did. And so we need to keep ourselves in check when we're tempted to feel uh, like we're not being given a fair shake. Um, I tend to magnify my own suffering, and I tend to magnify how great the unbelievers or we'll just say the wicked have it in this earth. And I think that's it's something that, that we need to rein ourselves back in, if you're like me. Um, in verses 13 through 17, he goes back into confession mode. And he's describing how he's um, wrestling around for the truth and for meaning. Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. He's, he's, it's bordering on envying the, the wicked because he doesn't see the payout. He doesn't see, he doesn't see the, uh, the results that he'd like. In the earth at this time. At the end of that, at, at the end of those verses, in verse 17 is where the big shift happens. Until I came to the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. In other words, the first time I read this, I thought well, maybe he walked into the the you know the the, the 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 not the temple that probably wasn't built yet, but into the uh, a holy place or an actual sanctuary. And that might be true, but it also could just mean that his his thoughts shifted from himself to what God valued, um, which which I confess happens and should happen when we when we do come to church. Either way, his perspective shifted, and he started looking at what God values, and God shows him the answer to his dilemma by showing him what happens to the wicked, their ultimate fate. One of the best, um, and then, okay, let me go on to verse 18 through 20, where God does show him that. Uh, In verses 18 through 20, um, it's shown that really the wicked have nothing. They have something on the earth very briefly, or they think they do, although I wonder if they can even enjoy it to the fullest. And then it's gone when they die and they enter judgment. This whole um, 
psalm reminded me a lot of, of the story of Job. And uh, one of the best descriptions, even better than, I think, than, than 18 through 20, is chapter 20 in Job, where Job's friend Zophar talks about how the wicked are so, the wicked's lives are fleeting, that any pleasure they do have, they enjoy, and then they're gone. And they're gone forever, and they're cut off. And that's what they're, and that's what, that's what God, that's what the psalmist is describing God's answer to his dilemma. One, another good um, personification of the wicked that was suggested by a commentary, and I completely agree with, is the person of, of Haman. You remember Haman? Does that ring a bell? From the, from the, from the story of Esther? Um, and I'll just review that story real quickly. Uh, Esther's a queen in Persia, and Uncle Mordecai's the gatekeeper. And uh, Haman is, is the king's right-hand man, as they say in the veggie tale. And, uh, you know, a confidant and a powerful person within, within the king's government. And Haman can't stand it when Mordecai won't bow down. So Haman devises this plan and this plot to wipe out the entire people group that, that Mordecai belongs to just to get even and just to, to feel better about himself. I, mean, I can totally see Haman when I read, you know, verses 4 through, through 12 about the wicked. But then remember how the story ends. Um, God, through Esther, thwarts Haman's plan, and just as suddenly, within a day, Haman gets hanged on the very gallows that were meant for Mordecai. And that, I think that's a great picture. Um, I will say, uh, Haman's death was on this, was on this earth, but it says here in verse 4 that the wicked, there are no pains in their death. You know, a wicked person, a person who doesn't believe God, which is what I mean when I say wicked, by the way, they, uh, they can die an easy death and still, and still be described in verses 18 through 20 as being cut off, as being just as suddenly and as surely cut off as if you did meet a violent death. There's really no difference. The, the payout is the same. And, and, for our, and for our study on the perspective of suffering, the outcome is the same. Verses 21 through 22 set the stage for the, for the praise at the rest of, at the end of the book. Verses 21 through 22, the man confess, starts confessing again. Uh, my heart was embittered. I was pierced. I was senseless, ignorant, and I was like a beast before you. This is almost, um, the man almost has shame because he realizes what he truly looked like in the face of God's truth. And um, it sets the stage for the, for, for the praise that happens next. Nevertheless, begins the praise, I'm continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. God is the rescuer. The man praises God for being good to him in spite of his unfaithfulness. Uh, the song that came to my mind was, uh, he gave me beauty for ashes. Anybody remember that old song? We haven't sang it in a long time. Uh, we don't deserve the mercy that God does bestow on us. And God is the one who shows us when we're off base. And so, uh, appropriately, the psalm ends with praise, that he's been delivered from a, from a place where he's struggling and where he's tempted to make God the bad guy, to praising, to praising God. I'd like to, uh, before I go to applications for us, I'd like to just 
interject a few things about Job since I thought there were some similarities. Uh, the theme with Job is a little different in that they thought the wicked deserved to suffer in the life be, be, in payment for their sins. In other words, there's a, a cause and effect, direct cause and effect relation, relationship. And the, one of the messages of the book of Job is that that's not necessarily true. But in a lot of other ways, this, this is very similar to Psalm 73. Job thought his suffering was not warranted or deserved in, in chapter 10, he did, and among other places where he defends himself. Uh, the wicked prosper, but only briefly, and just on the earth. Job chapter 20, uh, as I mentioned before. God knows that, or Job knows that God will save him in the end. That's the, my rede- the famous, my Redeemer lives passage from, from the end of Job chapter 19. God sets him straight. That's chapters eight, uh, 38 through 41, the big creation quiz. Stand up like a man and answer me. Where were you when I created this and that? And of course, Job can't answer. Finally, Job repents in Job chapter 42. I like the, I like the way that the book of Job and this psalm in many ways parallel each other and reinforce one another. And I've always enjoyed the story about how, in the end, they're brought back into fellowship with God. It, it, it's encouraging to me. I have three applications for us. Um, the main point and then two others that are kind of uh, tangent, but, but I think important anyway, that come up within Psalm 73. The main point is, where are we at in this process? Um, whether the topic is about, the topic in Psalm 73 is about suffering and the suffering of the righteous and, and how the wicked prosper, but, but notice the, the process that, that, that happens where the man encounters a difficulty with God and is struggling, and then he ends up being rehabilitated so that he can worship in the end. That should be happening, I feel like that should happen to us as believers all the time. Not necessarily pointing the finger at God, which I don't think we should, it's not wise to do, of course. But, but, but the honest and plain, being honest with God and speaking plainly to him when we are struggling with whatever happens. That's important because it's only by that process that we're going to get uh, wisdom and answers, either through God's word or through somebody giving us wise counsel through us, med- through us praying, um, let's be sure that, that that's happening. Because if that's happening, that means we're in the spiritual game. I have coworkers who their highest care is what's in the latest Sports Illustrated. And they're, they're not even, they're not even, they don't even exist as far as, as far as what I'm talking about. They're not even, it's not even happening with them. And let's make sure that it is happening with us, that we're not just thinking about the latest uh, trivial matter that's strictly on the earth. Let's, let's be thinking about what God has to say about things that, that, we're, that we're encountering in our life. Mike has been teaching about, um, teaching on John chapter 4, and part of that is about God seeking worshipers. And this is an example of that as well. You know, God took a, a person who was in no shape to worship because he was so... Uh, at least as I read this, he was so troubled by what he saw and despairing about what he saw as this um, injustice. He, I don't think he could very well praise God um, in those early verses when he was 
questioning and, and wrestling around. And, and by the end of the psalm, God is, the man is praising God. And so this is, this is a, a picture of what I believe should happen to us so that we have continual relationship with him and we're able to praise him in spite of difficult things that may happen. Whether it's this or whether it could be a sin issue that we're struggling with. It could be a point of theology that we don't understand. Uh, any, no matter what, in, our, in each one of our individual lives, we need to be going through this process that, that you see in Psalm 73. We need to speak plainly with, the, with God and have, and have a conversation with him about it. He's not afraid of us speaking to him and using plain language. So I'd encourage us all to do that, to... Um, to speak with God. He'll meet with us. Number two, uh, don't speak hastily about stuff you don't know about. I haven't even touched on that yet. This is, this is from verse 15. I'll read it. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And that was in the middle of when he was struggling and wrestling around with... with um, uh, I don't want to say his pity party, but that's how I feel like it when I'm like this. Um, he, he couldn't figure out, and he was, he was struggling internally with all this, and yet he didn't speak out. He didn't, he didn't give um, an active voice to these struggles to everybody around him. Um, there's something about speaking out loud that somehow solidifies or... or or raises the stakes, if you will, about anything, whether it's whether it's declaring your belief in Christ by and, and showing that through baptism. Um, I wrote down Romans ten nine, which talks about confessing with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you'll be saved. You know, without getting into the, into a whole sermon on on how to be saved and and uh, and the significance of that in that in that verse, it is mentioned because. Because it is significant that speaking with your mouth um, does prop up and, and, and make firm that which you believe in your heart. That's great if you're declaring your faith in Christ. It's not so great. It's indeed it's destructive if you're if you don't if you're not sure you have the right doctrine or the right theology and you're wrestling around with it. The best thing you can do is to is to keep silent, to work it out, to talk with people and ask questions, to gain some guidance and counsel. That's the correct thing to do. Rather than to just start blabbering and, and, and causing perhaps our brothers and sisters in Christ to stumble by, by voicing your, your, um, your what could be uh, garbage. And that's, that's very important. Let's keep our mouths closed unless we have something encouraging or edifying to say or something that we can help somebody through constructive criticism. But if we're not sure, let's not say it. Now, I believe that's the meaning of, of verse 15. The last one, the last application that I came up with, this is a total bunny trail, and this is about Bible study. You know, this is uh, one of the most recent passages that I've tried to really study and dissect, and uh, I think half the men in our church are reading this book. Uh, it's called The Fight by John White, and he has a chapter in it about Bible study. Um, you know, I, I felt really good about, about reading this and trying to figure it out, but I thought, well, you know, just to cover my bases, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a commentary. So I borrowed one from Mike, 
And I was almost afraid to crack the book open because I thought, you know, and this is kind of funny, and I'll confess a little carnal on my part, but, you know, I thought that if I open that to chapter Psalm 73 and uh, old Spurgeon agreed with what I'd already figured out on my own, then somehow that was less mine. And it's kind of strange. I only point that out to say that there was a lot in there that I'd figured out on my own. And that's an, that's an encouragement to you because if I can do that, then so can you. So I would encourage us not to be psyched out when it comes to studying the Bible, but to dig in there, find a passage that you enjoy, or a, maybe a topic that, that you've always wondered about, and, and go to it and uh, see what you can find out. And then maybe afterwards you might check the commentary just to see what some uh, well-known saint has figured out and, and is, has a good track record. Uh, but even then, uh, I just want to encourage you to do that. It was, I found it very enjoyable. To the three of the points that uh, this guy makes about Bible study, which I think I've even heard from somebody else before, our object in, in any study is, number one, to see exactly what the text says. What do the words say? Decide what the words mean. And to explore the relevance of the, of the words to contemporary life in general and to your own life in particular. And... You know, that was the one thing that attracted me to Psalm 73 because I was struggling in the same vein of a sore, and so it was encouraging to me on that level. And because I had the interest, I was able to dig in and get more out of it. Um, I would encourage you guys to do that as well. To sum up, look at the end of the wicked. Don't look at... at at the wicked and their, what they're doing on the earth right now, where the, the great things that they may or may not have right now. Look to our end, which is a glorious reign with Christ. Because while they're facing judgment and nothing else, I mean, whatever they enjoyed on the earth, they enjoy for um, a fractional blink of an eye in, in light of eternity. Whereas, conversely, whatever suffering or, or tough times we have, um, we get... We get the person who single-handedly, without anybody's help, created the cosmos, and we get to sit next to him and know him personally for the rest of eternity. And also, he's the person that saved us from our sinful state. That's exciting. We almost shouldn't even have conversations like this about struggling between, between what we get now versus what we get later, because this dwarfs um, everything else. It goes back to Romans 8.18. Number two, let's keep our mouth shut when we're not sure what we're talking about. Let's get some wise counsel first and sort that out. Let's edify each other and not um, drag somebody or cause somebody to stumble. Number three, let's read our Bible with confidence. Let's dig in there. Let's find stuff out. Um, I was just so pumped when I read this and was able to study it. It was fun, and I think it can be for you too. I'd like to close with a, a humorous story that that happened to me uh, earlier this week. I had been, um, and Tanya knows this, I'd been kind of grumbly and, and uh, frowny and about my poor pitiful life and whatever I didn't have and this and that. and um, I'd been grumpy at work. And so uh, my supervisor and I, his name's Chris, we ride our bikes home from work on the, tra- on the Shunga Trail because we both live in the same region of southwest uh, Topeka, and we're riding along, and I just, I felt burdened to just, you know, kind of uh, ask for forgiveness of Chris, and I even called another guy, well, it was Shannon, the guy I'd mentioned earlier, 
called him too because I was really grumpy at work. I was terrible. Anyway, I, so I, I was talking to Chris, and I, I, I asked him for his forgiveness and kind of just vented and dumped onto him what I'd been working through. And uh, Chris, is a, uh, he's a Christian, obviously, and he's, he's a good listener. So he didn't say too much. He just kind of nodded and, you know, listened. And, but I felt, you know, of course, like, like always, when you confess sin, you feel great. You know, there's a restored fellowship, uh, both with those people and, and also with the, you feel right with the Lord. And right about that time, we turn the corner and there's this old lady uh, taking a breather. She must have been, I don't know, your age, Evelyn. And she had a walker. And, uh, and she was, and she, it was about 90 degrees out, you know. And she was sitting there and I was just, I was feeling so good. And I turned the corner and there she was. And I said, good morning. And, and, and of course, I couldn't see the... the look on her face that she was wondering and about that time Chris said well you know it's five in the afternoon uh Sean and you know and of course I I kind of it even took a while for me to get what I even said and you know the I only say this because of the feeling I felt to be right with the Lord after I was having some um uh after I was had sinned and after I had was thinking wrong um judging myself wrongly and God wrongly and, and, and mistreating other people, it was after that, it was that feeling of not even caring that I'd said the silly thing, you know, in my enthusiasm. Um, that's the feeling that I feel that, um, that, that how Psalm 73 ends, with the man praising the Lord because things are right again. He's met with the Lord and God has shown him his truth. And that's very encouraging. And I, I, it's my desire for that to happen in each one of our lives uh, on a daily basis uh, as needed um, um, so that we can continue to grow in maturity in the Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for Psalm 73. I'm thankful for the, the way you've woven the story and, and you've preserved it for posterity for us so that we can read from it and learn from it. I just pray for each one of us that that we would be uh, sensitive to, to you and to uh, fellow believers. I pray that you would speak to us and that if we're struggling with something, that you would um, reach out. I pray that we would reach out to you and that you would respond. We know that you want to. And, we, I, and I just am thankful that you are a God who loves us and cares about us and desires relationship with us and that we, we, and that we would worship you. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.